0: this morning as we finish up this series of messages through this little letter that Paul had written to the church in Colossae. This little church has was being threatened by a false teacher groups called the Gnostics who uh, taught many things that were that were false that you had to have a superior type of knowledge to truly understand the things of God. And they taught that matter was evil and only the spirit was good, which therefore denies the um, deity of the Lord Jesus Christ and who he is. And Paul's letter here, there there were times when the, the false teachers, as they did, as the Judaizers did in the book of Galatians, were telling the... Uh, the, the believers there in Colossae, that in order to be saved, you, you have to believe on Jesus, but you also have to obey the law. You have to be circumcised. You have to keep certain holy days. You have to keep certain dietary laws. And, and Paul here, uh, again, is, is countering their, their claims by saying that Christ is sufficient. And this is the theme of the book of Colossians, is that Jesus is enough it's just that simple. Jesus is enough. If you go back to chapter one, just to recap where we've been here, uh, Paul began this letter with a prayer there in verses nine through 14. He said, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of of God being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience and joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Now one thing that I noticed as we began this and I noticed this back when we talked about it and again here you note that that, that Paul prayed for believers, different than what we do. When we pray for believers, we pray uh, that 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 so and so's health would be. And would be better and there 's nothing wrong with praying for people who are sick we are called to do that, but how often do we pray for one another and, and how often for for me as your pastor do you pray that I would be filled with knowledge the knowledge of his will and spiritual understanding that I may walk in a manner worthy of him how often do I pray that for you these are the kinds of things that we need to pray that that we would bear I need to pray that you would bear fruit in your life that is glorifying to God you need to pray the same for me. And, and so these, this is how Paul began his letter. And then he, uh, in, in regards to the false teachers denying the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, or that Jesus is God in the flesh, uh, there in chapter 1, beginning verse 15, he, he said, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him... Hold together. So Paul, uh, he 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 talks about the Son's preeminence in creation. That Jesus Himself is the Creator. That He is the one who created all things, and He is the one who holds all things together. But He also talks about the preeminence of Christ in redemption, uh, in verse eighteen in chapter 1 says he is the head of the body the church he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent for in him all the fullness of god was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or on in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross so paul here has presented the picture of the lord jesus christ as the one who is god in the flesh As the one who is the creator of all that is, as the one who is sovereign over his creation. But he is also the one who came to this earth and took upon himself human flesh, and he hung upon a cross and he reconciled. Notice what Paul says here. Verse twenty, and through him who Christ to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. It is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. And and Paul's point here is this: it is the sacrificial. Death of the Lord Jesus Christ. it is the substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the shedding of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that alone that saves us it 's just that simple. so this is what Paul says there. Uh, he spoke about the mystery uh, there in verse twenty six the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to him saints, to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. And what is this mystery? Christ in us. The only hope of glory. Christ in us. He says, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then the very next thing he says is, him we proclaim. Him we proclaim. So Christ is uh, the, 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 the sufficient sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and Paul talks about how believers... Uh, Need to be careful of the legalism that the false teachers had brought in and and were espousing. If you look at chapter two, beginning with verse 16, he says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. In other words, what Paul is saying there is that all of the law that God had laid out was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I am in Christ, I have fulfilled that same law because Christ has fulfilled that law. And so Paul is is countering the legalism that they had. Um, In chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, he says, if you then have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you shall also appear with him in glory. So uh, we should be consistent, Paul says, we are to live in conformity with the fact that we have not only died with Christ, but that we have been raised with Christ, and we have been raised to new life. We are a new creature, a new creation in Christ. And so Paul says, live your life in conformity to that. Stop living like the one who, who you were before you were saved. You're not that person anymore. You know, we, we've all heard this expression uh, that, that, you know, once a drug addict, always a drug addict. Once an alcoholic always an alcoholic. That's a lie. Did you know that? That is a lie. Because the Bible says if any man be in Christ he is a new creation old things are passed away and behold all things have become new. Christ sets us free. And so this is what Paul is saying here. Uh, He says you know walk in conformity with who you are in Christ. And and then in verse um, let's see here verse 5 through 9 he talks about he says put Put to death therefore what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So he says that we are to put to death. We are to lay aside the sin as the writer to the Hebrews says, lay aside the sin that so easily besets us. Uh, it is one thing for believers to sin, which we will do every day. We will continue to sin as long as we are in these earthly bodies. But it is something entirely different for someone who, who lives in sin, for that to be the characteristic of their life. Paul, uh, the, the, the Apostle John in 1 John says that you cannot say you are a believer in Christ while you continuously live in sin. He said if you do that, he said you're a liar. And the part you're lying about is that you belong to God. So Paul says here, uh, he says that we are to put to death and lay aside the sin Uh, That that so easily besets us and believers are to live in accordance with who we are in Christ. Verse 12, he says, put on then uh, chapter three, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So believers are to live in accordance with who we are in Christ. Paul tells us the sins and the uh, the, the things of the old life that we are to put away, sexual immorality and, and covetousness and anger and wrath and malice. He says these things should not be named among you. This should not characterize who you are. But then he tells us what to put on. We are to put on the new man, which is that in Christ, and, and, and that is characterized by love and peace and meekness and all these things. So we are to walk in conformity with who we are or in accordance with who we are in Christ. And then, as we saw last week, this truth was applied to three sets of special groups. It was applied to uh, wives and their husbands and children and their fathers and slaves and their masters. Uh, And and Paul says that, you know, wives submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Uh, Fathers, do not provoke your children. Uh, bond servants obey in everything and that word bond servant is better translated as a slave you know slavery was very common in Paul's day and so uh, the, the point that Paul is making there is you know that a, as a wife who is in submission to Christ you will you will treat your husband differently as a husband who is in submission to Christ you will treat your wife differently as children who are in submission to Christ and parents who are in submission to children uh, to Christ will treat their children differently and on and on and on and and slaves and will have a different relationship we're going to talk a little bit about that here in just a minute but but Paul's point is look the the way that we walk in Christ the life that we live in our new life in Christ in accordance with who we are as creatures who have died with Christ who have risen with Christ we are new creations we are to be different we are to be different than the world outside we are to be different from those who are lost Anytime you see a believer who's walking in his life and it is no different than the lost person out there, something's wrong. And I will tell you what it is that's wrong. That saved person is not saved. And it's, it's just this simple. If you are a new creation in Christ, you cannot help but be anything but that new creation. You can't help it. Now, there are instances where you can look at me and you can hear me and you can see me. And I may do things that relate to my old life because that old man is still there, Paul says. But I want to tell you, that old man's dead. You know, it's like I told you, I, you know, I, I've, I've always hated zombie movies. I think they're the most ignorant movies I've ever seen. But my daughter, when she was little, she loved them. And I remember one night she was watching one and I I, I thought about this. I've never forgotten this one line from this movie, this zombie movie, because to me it's always related to the, the battle that the spirit, that the Christian has with his old man, with that old life, because there was one line in this movie where this guy says, you know what I hate about zombies? He says they're dead and they don't know it. And I thought about that. You know, that old man in me, he's dead, but he don't know it. And so we continuously, uh, we we have to walk in accordance with who we are as new believers in Christ, new creations in Christ, and and our relationships between husbands and wives and parents and children uh, and slaves and masters or employees and employers. It will be different. It will be different as we do this. All right. So the closing section of Paul's letter presents us with a list of names. Look in chapter 4, beginning with verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, that we, and that he may encourage your hearts." and with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, Luke, the blood physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea, and to Nympha, and to the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the, the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, writing this greeting with my own hand, remember my chains, grace be with you. So here's the situation. The believers in Colossae were facing a challenge. They had the false teachers come in who were telling them, you must believe in Jesus, but you almost must add all this other stuff to it. And so they were confused, they were, they were burdened by, down by this, they didn't know what to do. So Paul writes this letter to them and says, listen, forget all of that. All of that is gone. Everything is fulfilled in Christ. He's all you need. Christ is the creator. Christ is the sovereign Lord. Christ is the one who paid the price upon the cross of Calvary. And if you have believed in him and have faith in him, then in in all reality, you have died with him and you have risen with him. We have new life in Him, Paul says. So, so here's the believers uh, here in Colossae, and they're, they're reading Paul's letter, and then they're they're battling with the false teachers, and they're being they they feel like they're being torn apart. And so Paul has written this letter, and he has admonished them, he's encouraged them, and but but he wants them to understand they're not alone, they're not by themselves. Uh, they they probably felt like. Um, All of this, they they probably felt a little embarrassed by the fact that they had believed all these false teachings and now they were being exposed for all of this. And so as we look at the names that Paul mentions here in particular details and he highlights in relations to these two things become clear. Each one of them, in one way or another, was connected to the church in Colossae, and all of them were concerned about the church's needs in Colossae. So, uh, are we concerned with the needs of the church? You know, I thought about that. We, we, we call upon one another to pray. You know, over the last week or so, you know, I've been kind of under the weather. I've been fighting. I don't know if it's allergies or if I got a bad cold or trying to get sicker. I don't know what it is. And I know that there are many people who have prayed for me, and I appreciate that. But I want to tell you something, folks. As your pastor, I would rather be on my sickbed and be known that I have been a faithful man of God more than anything else. That's what I need you to pray for me, because you know something? Let me tell you a secret. You, You may not know this, but I struggle with that by the way we all do we all do so we should pray for one another and we should know that that when things happen you know uh, that that we are not alone that we have someone there beside us and Paul is telling these people in Colossae he's saying look all these that he said Tychicus he said uh, he will tell you all about my activities he's a beloved brother a faithful minister a fellow servant in the Lord Paul says I'm sending him to you he's going to tell you how I am but he's also there to minister to you And so all of these come. Are we concerned enough with our church? Are we concerned about the church across the street? Are we concerned with the church across town? We should be. We should be. Because as we're going to see, uh, it doesn't matter what denominational thing they have over. If they are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and they follow him, they are brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, we may have some doctrinal differences, but as we've talked about before, there are essentials and there are non-essentials. OK, so we, we have to be careful there that we don't just say that everybody that names the name of Christ is a Christian because they're not. So there, there are essentials that have to be met. But Paul says that they are concerned about this. And Paul is reminding the believers in Colossae that they were not alone. And when the details of their troubles came to light, there was a real temptation on their part. Uh, to feel all alone in this situation. Like, you know, Paul has, exp- has, has exposed these false teachers to us. Paul has, has exposed how we have fallen for all of this. Well, now what do we do? What do we do? How, we're stuck here and we're all alone. And Paul says, no, you're not. I'm sending help to you. I'm praying for you and all of these. So the, they, they were to feel that, the, that their life with all its failures and its struggles. Listen, do you have failures in your life? Do you struggle? By the way, did you know, I used to not understand what I'm about to say, but one day the Lord showed me. I used to wonder, why is it that I struggle so much with sin? And then I realized, that's a good thing. That is a good thing. It's when you don't struggle with your sin that you have a problem. And so the, the, we, you and I, as, as these believers here, they were struggling. They had failed. They had, they had fallen for false teachings. And through their failures and their struggles, and they felt all alone. But ladies and gentlemen, we need to make sure that we all know that regardless of our failures, regardless of our struggles, that we are not alone. You know, uh, turn with me back to the book of Galatians. Galatians... Chapter, hang on, let me see here, chapter 6, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So Paul gives us a warning there, and, 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 and I think this applies to what was going on in the church at Colossae. They, were fa- they had failed. They were struggling, and Paul says, you know what, those of you who are who are spiritual, pick them up, set them back on their feet, get them back on the right path, and we need to learn to do the same thing. I cannot tell you how many times I have seen in the church throughout my ministry that, that, that I have seen people who have fallen into sin, and they, 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 they repent, and they repent, and they try to get back with God, and, and, and the Lord forgets their sin, but nobody else will. Nobody else will. I, I often heard it said that Christians are the only people that bury their wounded. And, and Paul says this ought not to be. So he's encouraging these Colossians. He says, look, I understand you, 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 you gave in to the false teaching. You believed uh, beyond what you should have, but that's okay. He says, you know what? We are here with you, and we are going to walk with you. Uh and so worse than that, there can be a horrible sensation of being all alone in, in a situation that nobody think nobody else understands, nobody else appreciates. You know, it's interesting because in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says this right here, that there are some things that I go through in my life that, that are very unpleasant, but that I go through those things so that I can help someone else later on that's going through that. You ever thought about that? That's what Paul tells us. So we need to understand that, some, that we are called to be there for one another and to encourage one another. And this is what Paul is saying here. And his desire is to show these people that they are not alone, that they have not been cast aside. All right. So this is what he's doing. He wants them to realize that to be in Christ is to be bound up in the fellowship with other Christians, to be part of a universal family of God. The Bible teaches us that Jesus is calling out a people for his name, the church, and he's calling them from every tribe, language, and tongue on earth. There are Russian Christians. There are Canadian Christians. There are Iranian Christians. There are Japanese Christians. There are Chinese Christians. We will stand in, earth, uh, in heaven and, and they will be from every tribe and language across the planet. We'll be there. And Paul says that we are a part of that family. You and I <clears throat> should be able to go anywhere on earth. Anywhere on earth. And walk into a church that's a legitimate church where the gospel is truly preached and feel just as home as you do in here. Did you know that? We should be just as welcomed. We should be hugged and, and handshaked just as much as we do when we walk into this building. Because and, and we should do the same for them because we are all part of the universal family of God. And to be joined to Christ is to be joined to every one of his blood-bought children. You know, I have three half-brothers. <clears throat> they don't know the Lord and give no indication that they ever will. Did you know Roger that you're more my brother than they are? You stuck with me for eternity. One day they're going to be rid of me, but they're not going to want to be at the time, trust me. But you see what I'm saying? We are more family than than our blood relatives who don't know Christ because we are a part of God's family. And so Paul presses home the challenge to the false teachers who were spreading ideas about the Christian faith that were misguided and giving an image of what uh, it meant to be a Christian that was wrong. We have to be careful that we do not give an image of what Christianity is that's not biblical. And I think that we do that very easily sometimes. And we need to understand, you know, somebody, one of the misconceptions about Christianity is this right here. Christianity is all about love. That God loves everybody. The Bible doesn't teach that, by the way. We think that love means that if I love you, then I will just accept anything you say, anything you are, anything you do. That is not love. That is not biblical love. That's the world's love, but it's not biblical love. So we have to be careful that, you know, true love calls out sin. Did you know that? It was in love that God pointed at me and said, you are a sinner. It wasn't because he hated me or because he wanted to embarrass me. He wanted me to come to him. And we need to understand that, that we must not present a, a, an image of Christianity. See, these false teachers were doing that. They were presenting this image of Christianity that was false, that was not truth. We have many cults and many religions out there that do the same thing today. They present a, a picture of Christianity that is not true. So Paul is going to give a picture of what genuine Christianity truly looks like. There is, number one, a fellowship of love. That Paul mentions, uh, these that Paul mentions could not have been more different in terms of their backgrounds or their spheres in life. I mean, we have um, Luke, who's a doctor. Onesimus was a slave. You know, if you go to the book of Philemon, that's what Paul wrote. That, that, that whole book's about Ph- uh, Onesimus. He was a runaway slave. He had stolen from his master and then ran away. And Paul, after he had ran away, then he met Paul and he heard the gospel and he was saved. So Paul said, you know what? Here's what you need to do. First thing, go back to your master. And see, that to us does not make sense. But we have to understand that the Bible gives a picture of slavery that's different than what we have. Okay? So Paul says, first thing you do in this, mess, you go back to your master. He said, I'm going to write a letter for you. It's the book of Philemon. You can read it. It's just one little chapter. And, and he's saying, look, he says, Philemon, you are a believer in Christ. Onesimus is a believer in Christ. So you're no longer slave and master. You're brothers in Christ. But he's still going to be your slave and you're still going to be his master. But don't treat each other like that anymore. And, and, and it's a picture of love. Uh, they were, even though they were so different, they were bound together in the same bond of love through the Lord Jesus Christ. We're all different. You know, unity doesn't mean we're all going to agree on the same thing. Unity doesn't mean we're all going to think exactly alike. Unity means we all have one purpose, one goal. And that is the glorifying of Jesus Christ. Some of us have different views on eschatology, but that's OK. Some of us don't truly believe that manna from heaven still exists at Waterburger. <laughs> Some of us do. But you see, we're OK. You know, Tychus, Tychicus was Paul's traveling companion, and as I said, Onesimus was a runaway slave, and Luke was a doctor. They had virtually nothing in common except their shared union in Christ. <clears throat> we are fond of having fellowships, what we call fellowship dinners and fellowship this. But you know that basically what we do is not, not a biblical fellowship type thing. Because you know what fellowship means? It means it's two people who get together and talk about Jesus. It's not having food. It's it's not about just sitting around and enjoying one another's company. Although there's nothing wrong with that. Okay, Don't get me wrong. But true fellowship is when we get together. and, And I tell you, do you know how good Christ is? and you say yes i know what he's done in my life and we 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 fellowship like that and so that's what binds us together that's what brings us together you can bring people that 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 are that are waterburger fans and those that are not and they can love one another in spite of their differences <laughs> by the way you know used to instead of waterburger i would say cowboy fans you know because All Cowboys fans are obviously saved. And so, (laughs) anyway, (laughs) here's living proof that God is no respecter of persons when He builds His church. God doesn't care if you're pretty or if you're ugly, God doesn't care if you're smart or if you're ignorant. God calls from all walks of life. And you and I must understand that we are all, regardless of what our economic background is, regardless of what our educational background or, or current status is, that it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. We are all called to be one in Christ. Uh, look at verse 10. This is interesting. He says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Now, there's two things concerning this story about Mark that I think we need to see. And and it comes from Acts uh, chapter 15. Paul and Barnabas were partners in the missionary journeys. And and Mark, John Mark was, was, was one who, a young man who traveled with them. Well, there came a point to where Mark said, you know what, I don't like this, I'm going back home. Well, that angered Paul. Paul says, "No, you're either going to follow us or you're not. If you're going home, stay there." Eventually, Mark comes back, and Paul says, "Hey, I don't want him back." And he and Barnabas have a, have differences of opinion here, and so Barnabas goes his way, and Paul goes his way. Now, I want you to understand something here: there was nothing sinful about what happened. You understand that? Paul and Barnabas had a difference of opinion. That's not sinful. Paul says, if you want Mark, then you take him, and you go that way, and I'll go this way. You know what the result of that was? The gospel was heard that way, and the gospel was heard that way. But there came a point to where Paul offered forgiveness to Mark. And and right here we see this where he says, uh, Aristarchus, my fellow fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. He says, when he comes to you, welcome him. They probably had heard what had happened between Mark and Barnabas and Paul. So Paul is saying here, look, when Mark gets there, you forget all that. You just welcome him in. He's he's useful to me. He's useful to you. So we see there uh, that that there was a forgiveness, there was a reconciliation that took place, and so that's a very important thing uh, for us to understand. There, the cause of this division between Paul and Barnabas, but there was forgiveness and there was reconciliation. And you know, Paul. I, I think that Paul was a man who was very determined. Paul was a man who when he once he set his face toward somewhere he went nothing would deter him and and sometimes i think uh, in Paul's defense i think sometimes Paul did not understand that everybody wasn't like that you see that you understand what i'm saying here is you know as a pastor there are times when there are things that go on in this chapel and i wonder why is it so and so why aren't all these people here and i have to understand that not everybody's like me you should be but you're not I'm kidding. But listen, but the point that Paul's making, uh, the hallmark of love that Jesus told the disciples would be the characteristic of their life. He said, by this will all men know you're my disciples when you have love one for another. But again, we have to look at that. What does that mean? If I say I love you, what does that mean? Does that mean that, that, that when you fall into sin, that I stand back and say, you know, I love you, so I'm just going to let you do what you want to do? That's not love. That is not love. Love says I'm going to reach out, and I'm going to reach out to you and say, look, this is wrong, and you need to get away from this. This is hurtful. This is going to hurt you, and, and you have sinned against God, and you need to repent. That is love, but love is more than that. Love is is that time when you say things that are hurtful to me and I say, you know what, that hurt me, but I love you and I'm gonna forgive you. I'm not gonna, you know, love does if you read the yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul's great chapter on love, one of the things he says, y'all ready for this? Love keeps no record of wrongs. I have found that that in my ministry the times that I have had married couples come to me for counseling, one of the things that they both turn into are historians. Or archaeologists they like to dig up the past. (laughs) Listen if it happened yesterday leave it there. And and this is what Paul, this is what love does. Paul says love keeps no record of wrongs. Love always treats the, 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 the other person as if they're better. He says always think of others as being better than ourselves. And so this is what love, this is the hallmark of what Paul is showing here to these Colossian believers. Through these men that he has mentioned. And... It was love that was reaching out to the believers in Colossae despite the difficulties that had emerged in their church. You know what we like to do today? And and this is a very sad thing. If we hear some trouble in the church across the street, we don't reach out to them in love. We talk about them through gossip. Did you hear what happened? I knew that was going to happen. I knew that person over there was that way. This is what we do, and this is not love and We have to be careful that we do not speak out against those who are followers of Christ that are like us, and the same love is to, that that they that Paul talks about here that characterized the church in Colossae and in the whole New Testament is that it needs to be the mark of all members of God's true family. It's love. We are to love one another. I need you to love me. I need your love to be so strong for me that when I'm wrong, you tell me I'm wrong. I need your love for me to be so strong that when I'm hurting and I'm laying flat on my face, you're there picking me up. And you need my love to be strong for you in that same way. All right? but, but as we noted... You know how Paul emphasizes the importance of prayer in the life of the church. But here in verse 12, he, po- he holds up Epaphras as a model of what that looks like in practice. Look at verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. Now notice these words. Always struggling in, on your behalf in his prayers. Have you ever struggled in prayer for someone? You know, this word struggle here is the word agonize where we get our English word agonize. It's the same word that's used in relation to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. When it says that he agonized in prayer to the point that he sweat as it was drops of blood. Have you ever prayed for somebody like that? He says he is agonizing in prayer. His passion for these people was, not, uh, seen, was, was seen not just in what he prayed for them, but in how he prayed for them. I think, I think that one of the areas that, that the modern church really fails in is we don't understand what real prayer is. We think that prayer, you know, if you're having an issue in your life, that I come to you and I say, Oh Lord, help so and so, and Lord, your will be done. Amen. It's all done. That's not prayer. That's not prayer at all. We need to understand that prayer is struggling, it's agonizing, prayer is hard work, but it's important. And as we've talked about before, we need to understand that prayer does not equip us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. And we must emphasize this. Uh, Epaphras, his deep longing was to see the blessings secured by Jesus' death and resurrection brought to full fruition in the lives of these people. How often do we pray for someone and, and, and pray and say, Lord, Help so-and-so to, to, uh, to fully understand who they are in Christ. Help so-and-so to fully understand what you've called them to, the life you've called them to. Help so-and-so to really be fruitful. Let the fruit of the Spirit just flow through their life. How often do we pray these kind of prayers? Very rarely. These are not the things that we think of when we think of prayer. But Epaphras here, (coughs) he is struggling, he's agonizing in his prayers. Look what he prayed. That you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. I desire to be holy. I desire to be a true man of God who stands firm upon the word of God. Do you know what? That I need your prayers in order for me to be that. Did you know that? Do you know that I want you to grow into, into full, healthy, mature believers? And you need my prayers to do that. We need prayers for one another. And so we look at how he prayed and what he prayed. And it's very important to us. We need praying like this today that is, that is sincere and sacrificial prayer. You know, Jesus said, if any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Now, that's our first clue right there. Let us let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. If I am truly going to be a follower of Christ and I am to deny myself, that means sacrificial living. When we pray, are we willing to set aside something? Are we willing to take the time that it takes to get on our knees before our God and lift up one another to the church, uh, to to God? Even when I'd rather be somewhere else, even when I'd rather be doing something else, even when I think I should be doing something else. Prayer is a time that as my living for Christ is to be sacrificial, my prayers are to be sacrificial. Do you know what sacrifice shows do you realize that the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf, you know what that shows? shows He loves us. When, when, when I sacrifice things and I sacrifice in my life for my wife, it shows her that I love her. And we're to do the same for one another. We must come to a place to where we are willing to 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 lay aside our, our our ourselves. Paul says, as I said earlier, that he says, let every man think of others as being better than himself. How many of you do that? How many of you look at me and say there's a better man than I am? How many times do I look at somebody and say, well, there's a better Christian than I am? Paul says that's how we should all look at each other. We are all to look at each other like that. You know what that does, by the way? That keeps pride out of the way. That keeps us humble. Humility before God. And you know it takes sincere, sacrificial, humble prayer before God. And I will promise you this. <clears throat> Every person in this chapel, if you will commit yourself to praying in a sacrificial humble, sincere way for this church, we will see God change this church. We will see God do mighty things through this church. When I say change this church, I mean change this church into where we will be people of God who are growing and sharing the gospel and and going out and just being on fire for God in this place. And that's what we need, isn't it? And this is how we get it: it's by sincere prayer of you and I praying for one another. But again, <clears throat> the thing all of these had in common that Paul talks about all these men was their shared union with Christ. They are truly in Christ. Are you truly this morning in Christ? Do you has there been a time in your life when you saw your sin for what it truly was? An affront to a holy God. And you saw your condition for what it was, totally hopeless, totally helpless before a holy God, abiding under the wrath of God. And in faith, cried out to Christ, cried out to Jesus and said, Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, and forgive me and by faith see Christ. Have you ever truly done this? Are you truly united in Christ? Have you been united to Christ as your Savior and your Lord and, and understood that, that without Him we have nothing? Without Him we are nothing. Without Him we can do nothing. Now, does that mean that without Christ I can't stand up here and preach? Well, sure I can. It's not going to do any good. It's not going to do you any good. You know, I, I truly believe that if I were to stand up here one Sunday morning and <laughs> begin to preach, <clears throat> and if I were to begin to slur my words, and maybe I'm kind of unsteady on my feet and somebody loves to say, you know what, I think Brother Bobby's drunk. Do you know that that would not be as bad As if I were to stand up here and preach to you not filled with the Spirit. That would be a greater sin. And and in order for me to do that, you know what, I need you praying for me. Lord, fill him with your Spirit when he preaches to us. Open our hearts that we would hear this. Understand who we are in Christ. Even though in the one sense there was no reason for any of these men to be interested in what was going on in Colossae. You know why? They could have said, oh, that's not my church, so I'm not worried about it. That's not what they did. These men had their own churches and they said, hey, do you need me to go to Colossae? Do you need me to go there and encourage these people? Do you need me to go there and teach these people? Paul, what do you need me to do? Lord, what do you need me to do? This is what they were doing. Their relationship with Christ had literally opened up a new horizon for them in terms of who their people were. Those who are truly in Christ, who are truly believers and and, and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are all united in him. And and it's that extraordinary new dimension of life that is found through faith in Christ that becomes the note on which Paul draws this letter to a conclusion. He says in verse 18, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Grace. That's a wonderful word. <clears throat> if you ask most people, what does the word grace mean? Most, most churchgoers, what does the word grace mean? Well, we say that means the undeserved favor of God. And that is true. That is what it means. But it means so much more than that. How many of you here were saved by faith? None of you. You were saved through faith by grace. Grace is what saves us. Grace not only saves me, grace sustains me. The same grace that saved me is the same grace that keeps me saved. The same grace that saved me and keeps me saved is the same grace that will take me in the presence of God. Paul says, grace be with you. I need grace. Somebody said, do you need grace when you preach? And I said, yes, I do. I need grace when I preach. I need grace when I pray. I need grace when I go to Walmart. I need grace when people put beans in chili. We all need grace. And Paul says, grace be with you. Is Paul's way of saying, the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Do do you understand how Paul ends this letter with a note uh, of saying to these these believers in Colossae, it's okay. It's going to be all right. I'm sending you help. They love you. They're earnestly praying for you. They're struggling in prayer for you. He says, I'm sending all the... Paul says, if I wasn't in chains, if I wasn't in prison, I'd be there. But he says, I want you to know how much do we love you. <clears throat> let, me, let, let me ask you something. And, you know, don't raise your hand or answer anything. Do you, do you, is you, in your mind, look around this room right here. Do you love everybody in this room? Do they know you love them? You know, it's okay. You know, one of the things that has always bugged me as a man, okay? I have three, th- three kids. My youngest... Is about 6'4 and weighs about 280 pounds. And I tell him I love him every time I see him. I hug him whether he likes it or not. I tell all my kids, I tell my wife, do you know men that it's all right to tell your, your wife you love her? Did you know that? So listen, you and I must understand that we are called to love one another. And it's okay to let me know that you love me. It's okay for me to let you know that I love you. We should let each other know that. And so Paul is saying to these believers, grace be with you. Grace. The Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray. Father. Lord, as we come this morning, we thank you, Father, for the people in our lives that you have brought to us. Father, those that in times of need are there to show us Christian love. Father, in those times when we have failed and struggled in our lives with sin, that there are those who have loved us through it, that you have given us grace beyond measure. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is sufficient. That you were satisfied, Father, with the sacrifice upon the cross. And you showed that by raising him bodily from the grave. That today he lives. Father, we thank you that if we are in Christ, we are new creations. Father, help us to put away our sin. Give us the grace to do so. Give us the grace to live the kind of life that you've called us in in accordance with who we are in union with Christ. And we ask it in Jesus' name.